Welcome, everybody, to the Carl Wright Rising podcast. My name is James Downs, and I'll be your host today. So I'm a senior fellow and also head of the Populism Research uh, Unit based at Carl. I'm also a researcher based in Hong Kong at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Today, the Carl Populism Research Unit will be hosting this episode, and we will examine the important case of the far-right alternative for Germany, the AFD party in German politics. So we're delighted today to invite Sophie Schmallenberger from our Carl Populism Research Unit onto the show to let us know more about the far-right AFD party, and also in order to unpack and look at the significance of the AFD in 21st century German politics. So Sophie Schmallenberger is a PhD candidate at Aarhus University Department of Global Studies in Denmark and a doctoral fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right based at Carl. Sophie is also a member of the Carl Populism Research Unit along with another of our other research units at Carl. Sophie's research focuses on far-right populism in a memory cultural context, focusing on discursive, performative, and effective dimensions of right-wing populist actors' memory work. In particular, Sophie is interested in how the Alternative for Deutschland, the AFD party, utilizes memory and commemorative symbols alongside practices and performances to articulate an alternative account of how the German nation relates to itself effectively. So Sophie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Hi, thank you um, for inviting me. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Sophie. So your research sounds incredibly interesting, particularly with the focus on social psychology and how this relates to the far-right AFD party in the German political context. Please, could you just tell us a little bit more about your current research on the populist radical right alternative for Germany party? So, for, for example, what exactly is the AFD party, ideologically speaking? And secondly, what research are you currently working on? Um, yes, uh, of course. Um, I think to, um, to properly explain um, what the AFD is, uh, I'll just start with a with a quick rundown of, of the German party system and German uh, politics to, to, to place the AFD sort of w within it. Um, so uh, the traditional or established parties um, at the point when the AFD was emerging were, were uh, first of all the CDU, CSU, the Christian Conservative Party that also Chancellor Merkel is, is, is a member of. And they've been in government for the last 15 years, since 2005. Um, and yeah, as I said, they are usually um, on the conservative um, sort of um, center right, but have gone a bit more towards um, the political middle under Merkel. And the important thing here is um, that the Christian conservatives were supposed to be, um, there was not supposed to be a, a party appearing on the right of the cons Christian conservatives um, in German pop, in, in German um, post-war politics, then we have the Social Democrats, the oldest party in Germany, dating back to the 1860s, um, and um, yeah, having classic, I would say, social democratic um, positions and workers' rights as sort of their the central issue. However experiencing a bit of an of an damage to their image which some very strict uh, social welfare reforms under the last chancellor schroeder who governed um germany from 1998 um, until 2005 then we have the free democratic party the fdp um liberal uh, liberal party um that i would also place sort of in the center right spectrum of the political 
um, seen. Um, so more interested, I would say, in, in sort of an auto-liberal, economic, um, neoliberal agenda than sort of the left-wing liberal focus on, on, on personal freedoms and, and, and things like that. Um, and then we have the Greens, founded in the 1980s um, as sort of emerging from uh, anti-nuclear and pro-environment protest groups um, in the 70s. Um, and they are very popular at the moment after the Fridays for Future protests. They are actually scoring around 20% in the, in the election or in the, in the opinion polls. And last but not least, we have the Die Linke, um, often labeled the leftist populist party that originates in the merger of the Eastern German PDS, which is the successor party of the Social um, Unity Party, the SED, um, the, yeah, basically only party um, in the GDR, and the Western German left um, that split from the SPD. Um, in the early 2000s. So the AFD, so that's sort of the background against which the AFD emerged on the right side of the CDU-CSU in 2013. So it was founded in 2013 by um, a professor, an economist professor uh, from Hamburg called Bernd Lucke. Um, and it was mainly founded as a single-issue Eurosceptic party emerging in context of the financial crisis, um, um, and especially the, Europe, uh, the European financial crisis. Um, and it was the first party that broke with a cross-party consensus on a strict commitment of Germany to the European Union and to European integration, because it was openly um, demanding that Germany should leave the euro um, the European Monetary Union, and we should get back the Deutsche Mark. Um, they missed the 5% threshold in the 2013 um, national elections, but entered the European Parliament in 2014. And quite soon after they were founded, we could see that they um, started to attract, that the AfD started to attract voters that were not only sort of conservative or the liberals moving over from the Christian Democrats mostly, but that had actually um, political positions that we could label far right. Um, and this became visible with, I would say, what you could maybe call the turn, uh, turnover of the party, when the founder, Bernd Lucke, was not re-elected as a party leader and instead um, Frauke Petri uh, on a sort of xenophobe, anti-immigrant agenda was elected as the party leader in 2015. And from then onwards, the AfD has ever more moved towards the radical right and can now actually be seen as a radical right populist party because um, it has an agenda that sort of puts the established parties and immigrants um, as the enemies uh, of, of, of the German people. And they were particularly successful in mobilizing anti-immigrant sentiments um, after or in course of, of, of what is usually referred to as the refugee crisis. And they managed to enter the German national parliament, the Bundestag in 2017 with um, roughly 13% and are currently the strongest opposition party in the German Bundestag. 
Um, my research just very quickly sort of takes the vantage point from the fact that I are uh, the first far-right party to enter the German Bundestag um, after the end of Second World War. And it's the aim to, or the aim I have is mainly to um, explain the emergence and success of the far right, not with a, yeah, what you could maybe call a, a classical political science approach that sort of measures voters' preferences and voter attitudes and looks at the political positions of the AFD and how they address these um, opinions and attitudes, um, but tries to understand their emergence in, um, in a historical German context and aims to look at feelings and emotions in order to explain what the AFD is, is doing in that memory political context. Thanks a lot, Sophie. So I think our listeners will really appreciate your, your knowledge here in terms of speaking about or providing an introduction to the, the German party system and also the political system. And it's also fascinating to hear about the different parties on both the left wing and the right wing side and also about the current research that you're working on in regards to the, to the AFD. So you've also recently written an excellent article for the PSA, for the Political Studies Association, yes. that's titled Germany 30 Years After Reunification, A Grown-Up Country. So I'd actually firstly want to urge all podcast listeners that will be listening to this episode and would like to, to understand more about German politics to also check out this great article that Sophie's written. So a question that I have related to this article, Sophie, is could you just give us a bit of an introduction to, to listeners for this podcast about your main argument in this article, what you were arguing? Yeah, so, so I was asked to write the piece on occasion of yeah, what you could maybe call um, Germany's 30th birthday, um, so the anniversary of German reunification um, this year in, in October um, 2020. Um, and when I got this uh, sort of uh, request, it almost felt like writing an autobiographical um, piece because, yeah, I myself, I was uh, born in, in July 1919, uh, 1990, not 1919, um, in what was still the, the GDR but three months later became the Federal Republic. So sort of looking back on the last 30 years of reunified Germany um, definitely also sort of has a personal dimension for me. Um, so I tried to write this piece uh, as, a, as a mix of, of a personal account and um, from the perspective of, of, of a far-right um, scholar as well. And the main aim here was, yeah, maybe to deconstruct a bit the general image that I think especially outside of Germany exists that sees Germany sort of as as liberal democratic beacon um, especially in the last you know 10, 10 years or so where we have seen Donald Trump and um, Brexit and, and, and everything um, that sees Germany as, as the engine of European integration and sees German unity in the last 30 years of German history mainly as a success story. And while I would say that there's definitely some truth to, to many of these um, successes, um, the last 30 years have not only been a success um, because, and that's my main point in the article, we have had um, a big far-right problem in Germany um, before, but especially ever since the 1990s. 
um, that starts with violent Nazi riots in, in the cities of Hoyerswerda and Lichtenhagen in the early 90s with the National Socialist Underground, a uh, uh, National Socialist, yeah, well, terror cell, uh, basically murdering Germans of Turkish and Greek descent uh, all through the 2000s and, and being only discovered in 2011, more or less by, by, um, by uh, chance or by, by accident. Then with the AfD entering the Bundestag on a xenophobic far-right uh, anti-Muslim ticket, and most recently with the far-right terror attacks in Hanau and Halle, but also with the murder um, of the CDU politician Walter Lübcke that was um, definitely uh, motivated by um, a far-right extremist ideology. Um, and what I try to argue in that thing, is uh, in that piece that I wrote uh, for the PSA, is that the far-right is also strong because of what politicians so far did in face of anti-immigrant sentiment and far-right extremism. Because what, what happened in the 90s as well as in the 2010s um, in face of far-right riots and, and, and the AfD was actually a tightening of asylum laws. And I also argue that we in Germany still have the idea of a, of a certain light culture and essentialist understanding of what German culture is, um, that immigrants or descendants of, of immigrants in Germany need to completely adapt to in order to be considered a part of, of, of the German society. Um, and to those mainstream ideas, the far right has a rather easy time uh, to, to, to connect to. So my, my recommendation uh, for to, to Germany on occasion of its 30th birthday was, um, was to urge that, that modern Germany re needs to reconsider itself, um, that we could not only continue to symbolically condemn the AfD and far-right violence in, in, in speeches and public statements, but that we should come to terms with the very diverse society that we are at the moment, that there's so many different people living on German soil today and that they all belong um, with the German nation and should be considered as a full part of German society, no matter, yeah, no matter if they eat uh, bratwurst or falafel for dinner um, or are Christian or Muslims or um, whatever else uh, kind of divisions you, you could make up here. Thanks a lot, Sophie. Thank you very much for that insightful analysis. And I think what our listeners will, you know, listening into this podcast will really get from that is that this personal account or this personal perspective that you provided here, and also some of the different examples that you just listed about, uh, you know, some of these far right groups that actually go back quite a long time in history as well is important because you mentioned just now now about you know the international perspective of Germany as being this perhaps what we might call this liberal democratic. Beacon, but of course, there's a there's a big disconnect here that, that we see as well. So this actually leads into my to my next question very well, and this is the question that Germany has long been considered immune to the success of radical right populism, largely due to its 20th century history, the way it commemorates its wrongdoings, and has come to terms with this dark past. Nonetheless, the AfD, as you just mentioned, Sophie, has entered the German National Parliament, mm -hmm. the Bundestag in 2017 as the first far-right party in post-war Germany. So based on your insights, Sophie, from your research, 
I was wondering, how would you explain the success of the AFD in this uh, special German context? Um, well, let's uh, sort of write down my PhD um, project early because that was that was the the question I I, I sort of started with um, when developing um, this this project um, because. Of course, an analysis of, of, of voter attitudes and, and, and um, uh, in, you know, cross-country comparisons um, of, of, for example, why populists, why far-right populists are successful is, of course, important and, and, and useful. But I, I, I would uh, exactly say what you also mentioned just in that question, that Germany is a special case because of its history and because of its strong memory culture that sort of has ever since um maybe not straight since the 50s but but since the 70s and 80s at least aimed to make um to make a successful far right political party uh, impossible um so and and in fact there is not um that many papers or accounts that consider the AFD exactly in the special memory cultural and historic context. And the few papers that do that, um, they mostly look at um, how the AFD um, is trying to revise um, history, which they, of course, do. Um, we, for example, have the AFD uh, honorary chairperson, Alexander Gauland, um, referring to um, Nazism and, and Hitler is um, bird shit on thousand years of glorious German history, which I mean is definitely a, a statement that that aims to reinterpret German history and focus on on the proud and great moments in German history. So the AfD is definitely doing um, historical revisionism, but I think that's not all that they are that they are doing. And what I argue in my um, in my PhD project is um, that they use memory and commemoration in order to mobilize certain feelings that challenge the, um, the German post-Holocaust political and cultural order. So the idea here is that the hegemonic post-Holocaust order um, is not only a discourse, but is also a system of what Nitzan Shoshan in, in his 2017 book, The Management of Hate, calls an effective governance. So it's a system that directs certain feelings, for example, fear, guilt, or apprehension towards the Nazi past and everything that is reminiscent of the Nazi past uh, in, in the present, for example, um, neo-Nazis or anything that could be interpreted as a sort of overtly proud showing of of love for the nation or or a strong nationalism, and that on the other side directs feelings like love and hope towards everything that stands for a liberal, democratic, cosmopolitan, national self in the present. Um, and what I argue is that the AfD is um, challenging this effective order by offering what I, my project, called an alternative effective landscape. Um, and I know this sounds very abstract, but it can basically be understood as um, offering to Germans a different way of feeling about themselves 
um, and the world, basically a different way of, of, of being German. And this sort of new way of being German allows certain feelings that are not permitted in, in, the, um, in the hegemonic effective order. For example, it permits to not feel guilty about the past anymore, but instead to be proud about the past, to be positively invested in the past. And not, it, it also allows to not be the perpetrator anymore, but it allows Germans to feel as victims in, 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 indeed. Um, for example, as victims of um, what the AFD would refer to as, as migrant violence, of, of violent immigrants um, killing or raping um, Germans um, at the moment, which is a stories uh, and a narrative they, they, they promote a lot um, on social media, for example. But what I think is important here is also to stress that um, it is not only hate and fear that the AFD mobilizes um, against the political um, enemy or towards ethnic others, but it's um, because that's what a lot of literature on populism so far stresses, the mobilization of hate, fear and anger. But I think what is also very important to understand is the, let's maybe call it the positive feelings the AFD um, manages to mobilize through um, a certain kind of memory. Um, I argue that they, they, they managed to, to make it, or to, to mobilize a certain coziness, um, I, I would maybe call it. They basically enabled Germans to feel good about themselves. Again, one, 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 one might add. But instead of feeling, feeling guilty and conflicted about what the nation is, they enable Germans to feel purely positive about what the German nation is. Um, and one more thing I would like to stress is that I think, or I argue uh, pretty much in, in, in my thesis, that this, what the AFD is doing, is not completely, um, completely foreign to the hegemonic um, order and, and, and sort of mainstream or established ways of, of constructing the German nation, but actually connects to some elements here. And I, 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 I argue that this is the, the AfD is very good in sort of connecting their ideological agenda to, um, to elements of, of um, the mainstream discourse. Um, or to elements that have at least been present in Germany for the last 70 years, which is, for example, myths of, of German victimhood, of, um, of um, for example, the bombing of Dresden, which, yeah, for the last uh, 70 years has been, you know, around, has not been part of the, of the main um, historical narrative, but the idea of that also innocent Germans died in Second World War has been um, at least sort of in interpersonal memory and in small-scale family memory and stuff like this been, um, been there. Um, and then I would also say that this idea that I mentioned um, when talking about my PSA piece, that um, the fact that we have pretty much that, that, that the idea of a German light culture, of a leading culture, leading German culture, a certain conservatism that would insist um, on a certain cultural essentialism that 
decides uh, over belonging to Germany or not belonging to Germany. And that would, for example, exclude guest workers and everybody who is read as, as non-ethnic German um, is, of course, also a connection point that makes it um, maybe not easy, but possible for the AFD to develop a more extremist discourse that, that excludes, um, that excludes um, racialized others. Um, and then there's also something about the East and West memory, certain grievances um, that uh, exist in, in, in the East after, after the 1990s and the experiences that were made by many people in the East that the AFD can strategically um, exploit. And last um, but not least, also the fact that even within um, the hegemonic Holocaust culture, there was, there was what I would call a need for heroes, um, so they have always been sort of positively connotated historical figures. Um, for example, um, uh, Graf von Stauffenberg, um, who tried to kill, to, to kill Hitler, but also, um, yeah, let's Otto von Bismarck or, or other German, um, important German figures that have, that carry a co positive connotation and that the AFD now manages to incorporate in, 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 in their um, narrative and into their effective um, landscape. Thank you very much, Sophie. That's not just fascinating, but extremely comprehensive in terms of you know, some of these terms that you're speaking about in terms of historical revisionism, then this, this, this memory culture. And actually, when you were speaking about this kind of historical revisionism about the AFD, it also made me think about some mm -hmm. other contemporary populist radical right parties or far right parties, say in Central Eastern Europe, such as Fidesz in Hungary or even its electoral competitor, the extreme right wing uh, party Jovic. Although yeah. Fidesz obviously can now be seen as an extreme right wing party, arguably with Viktor Orban's shift in 2020 within the wider COVID 19 context. So, again, just for the listeners listening in, there mm -hmm. are, you know, the AFD is, of course, a unique and a significant case here, but there's also other examples of contemporary far-right parties using some types of similar strategies. For example, in, in Hungary, and this yeah. this notion about the Hungarian uh, nation-state under Viktor Orban of the Fidesz party. So I was actually so no, definitely. Just, I mean, yeah. No, I just of course. I mean, I think among almost all far-right parties or far-right populist parties we see, I mean, there's of course a attempt to redefine. Um, what the people are, in a sense, right, or what the what um, the nation is, and I mean, history is a incredibly important part, or or memory is, I mean, the the major way of how we in the present make sense of ourselves in terms of the past. So, memory is is definitely an important, yeah, well, battlefield you could you could say in the, in the political struggle also for the far right populists, basically everywhere in, in Europe and the world. Yeah, definitely. And Sophie, you were just touching upon some of the really kind of crucial West versus East or what we might call big regional divides as well. So we've heard a lot about big regional divides in mm -hmm. global politics, also particularly between the North, North versus South regional divides or discrepancies in Italian politics with our recent Populism Research Unit Right Rising podcast with uh, two Italian experts that we had on the show, two of our colleagues, Valerio Alfonso Bruno and Alessio Scopoliti. So I was wondering, in terms of the modern-day German political context, of course, you've touched upon this already just a few moments ago, but I'm just wondering, 
how do these West versus East regional differences manifest themselves? And also, how do they still exist in German politics and in terms of structuring the underlying party competition that we see within modern German politics? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there is, there is definitely a, what you could call an, an East-West divide um, within the AFD. Um, first of all, I mean, we, we, we see that the, the AFD is much stronger um, in, in terms of electoral support in, in, in the East. Um, but I would just also like to say from, from the get-go that there's very sort of complex reasons and facets um, to, to, to this. I think it's, 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 it's more complex than it's often um, portrayed, where also in Germany you have the discourse that, oh yeah, I mean, we just have a lot of Nazis in the East and that's why the AFD is so strong there. Um, but what is worth noting um, is definitely, um, as, as you actually also write in a paper um, that, you, that you wrote with Felix Wiebrecht, that the AFD um, in the East can be considered as having more right-wing radical positions um, than the AFD in the in, in the in the what was uh, formerly Western Germany, the Federal Republic. Um, also, um, Hans Georg Betz and, and Florian Habersack um, have have been trying to approach the question of, of, of why the AFD is, is stronger in the East, and um, they explain it with the fact that after the merger of the PDS and the Western German left, um, there was no um, party there anymore representing particularly Eastern German interests, and that the AFD had managed very well to take over this position as, as being sort of the, the microphone or the megaphone of the frustrated Eastern Germans. Um, and also Manas Weiskirchner points out that there's a lot of sort of social structural differences um, between East and West um, that, that uh, taken together um, can be can be seen as, as as causes for stronger support in in the east, um, sort of a lower income, um, uh, precar like higher precarity, economic precarity, but also sort of cultural precarity um, in in eastern Germany, especially in small eastern German towns and on the countryside. But I think um, as as the German essayist. Um, Max uh, Czolik writes in his in his recent book uh, called Gegenwartsbewältigung. Um, we also have to consider um, what function white supremacists or or, or anti-immigrant um, nationalistic or ethno-nationalistic attitudes have in the East. And and I would agree with him that here they also they in in the East they serve a certain. Um, a way of of, of self appreciation or re evaluation in 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 face of eastern germans um often being looked down upon um in a in a in a sort of uh, national german context um of facing a lot of unemployment precarity and instability throughout the last thirty years um and having you know not really um, enter the glorious life in the free capitalist world as as they had thought in in the late 1980s, but had actually faced unemployment um, and um, decline in, in in many in, in many ways. Um, 
And from, from the perspective of my research, um, I would add that, um, that there is a memory and an affect or feeling dimension to the success of, of the AFD in Eastern Germany as well. And um, I'm approaching this actually by looking at how the AFD is successfully mobilizing um, what you could call particularly Eastern German memories. Um, and through mobilizing these memories is managing to orchestrate um, certain effective dispositions that resonate with Eastern Germans more than with Western Germans for the simple reason that it's only Eastern Germans having this history of, of living in a dictatorship until 1989 and sort of overthrowing this dictatorship. It's just nothing that sort of Western Germans could, could really um, be touched by because it's simply not their history, if that makes sense. Um, and here slogans like we um, are the people or comparing um, Merkel with the SED um, dictatorship or taking the streets, the act of taking the streets in protest and protesting against the government, they carry certain effective implications in the Eastern German setting and they carry a certain um, empowerment in a sense um, when the AfD says, oh, well, we will bring down the government just as we did 30 years ago. Um, so they offer individuals um, and they offer the AFD supporters very complex and specific ways of feeling um, towards the AFD, sort of as a revolutionary force, um, towards each other as sort of co-revolutionaries, uh, if you will, and towards, for example, the German government as a sort of a suppressing entity, um, as, as, as a sort of the, the pure evil and the enemy. Um, of the people and this mix I would argue enables Eastern Germans not to only to hate the government I mean that, that that's part of sort of this effective landscape I'm trying to look at but to also feel what you could maybe call a nostalgic uh, pride through the act of resisting the government um, and I think it's it's this nostalgic pride uh, and resistance or, or, or taking pride in resisting um, that the AFD mobilizes and that, that actually functions as an effective bond um, among the AFD and its supporters. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot, Sophie. Thank, thanks again for going into great detail there. And again, some of our listeners uh, would have heard Sophie mentioning a number of uh, kind of key scholars here, such as Hans Betz, also uh, Florian Habersacker, and uh, Manis Weischkirke, who also kind of focus on some of these dynamics of, of East versus West effects, but particularly uh, support uh, in, in Eastern Germany and how unique Eastern Germany is in German politics. And it also makes me think again uh, about, I mean, Sophie, you've kind of touched upon some, some things from your personal life in terms of the article you wrote for the PSA, mm -hmm. for the Political Studies Association. It also makes me think about um, my, my cousins or my extended family who are Belgian, uh, Dutch-speaking Belgians. Yeah. And it makes me think again about you know, the often when, when I've been to Brussels and, uh, you know, been in Belgium and also studied in, in Brussels for a, a bit of time, I was often fascinated again about hearing about these regional divides also that we see in another country such as Belgium with the, you know, the Dutch-speaking Flanders area, and then you have the, the more French-speaking mm -hmm. Vallon area. So from a personal perspective as well, what you were talking about, and also when I was reading your article, it kind of also struck a chord with me as well um, for, for my extended family. 
so kind of leading into the next question, yeah. and you know, we this is kind of great about this episode uh, for listeners kind of listening into this podcast. We've got you know enough material that uh, I could ask Sophie you know, questions that could go on for about two hours. Of course, so don't worry, we're not going to have this interview <laughs> to go on or this uh, podcast episode to go on for for two hours. But again, there's so many questions and so many key themes that we could look at the AFD here and also compare it and contrast it with a number of far right far right parties across Europe. So my next question is about the AFD, of course, has significantly gained support through the past five years. Of course, we could say it's been fueled in part significantly by the so-called refugee crisis in 2015 that started in 2015, at least with the intensity and, and, and the shock in terms of the numbers coming in, yeah. into Europe. And of course, Chancellor Angela Merkel's decision to keep the German borders open for refugees. But since March 2020, the political agenda arguably in Germany, Europe, and indeed the world has drastically changed. How has COVID-19 impacted the support for the RFD, for the AFD in German politics? Yeah, um, I mean, that's of course a, um, you know, a question where the answer is still uh, in the making, in a sense. But um, I'll try to answer it, you know, from a now uh, perspective, now November 2020 um, perspective. Um, so the AFD had definitely had to had to adapt to to the COVID situation because, um, yeah, to put it simply, since March 2020, nobody is 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 really interested in talking about refugees anymore that much. Um, so the salience of, of sort of the anti-immigrant um, card um, has has uh, yeah been declining drastically um, over the last, uh, or at least during the last um, you know. 10 months or so. So initially the AFD um, argued, um, you know, before um, when COVID was slowly coming to Europe, the AFD was very eager to, to say that the government should protect the people, um, but then was not so eager anymore to protect, uh, to, to support the government when they actually started protecting the people by passing or by, um, um, imposing certain COVID rules and restriction in March 2020. So we saw, I mean, a classic populist turn there by uh, where, where the main rule for populist party is to be against what the establishment um, or the government is, is, is doing. Um, and quite soon after, after um, the corona restrictions started, um, the AFD um, began to mobilize a narrative about a corona dictatorship of how we were all, um, you know, um, be robbed of our of our um, personal freedoms under and and that sort of this was only a way of the government to to um, towards authoritarianism and 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 things like that. And in the beginning. That didn't seem to be super successful because we saw what we saw in most uh, countries, actually, this classic rallying around the flag effect, government support rising in terms of, of, of a crisis. And the general um, public opinion was that, that you know, Merkel and her government were doing actually a pretty good job um, in, in fighting this pandemic. But I would say things have, have changed a bit. Um, um, with, I mean, uh, ongoing um, restrictedness that we all experience in our everyday lives right now and um, a growing community of what you could call, um, well, I mean, 
yeah, Corona deniers or Corona skeptics or uh, conspiracy um, theorists or um, whatever. I mean, QAnon and 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 the like that also in Germany have now mobilized. Um, I mean, still not a majority of people, but a decisive part of of, of the population, um, which has been visible. Um, especially, um, actually just two days ago, um, on the 17th of November, when we had a massive anti-corona demonstration in front of the German Bundestag in, in, in Berlin. Um, and the AFD has sided with, with these, you know, corona skeptics or, or whatever you want to, to call them. Um, and is, um, the only party that is uh, sort of strictly um, strictly not agreeing or indeed uh, fighting um, these corona restrictions and has um, yeah a, a constant rhetoric of of how corona rules are basically Merkel's way of establishing a full blown dictatorship um, in Germany and especially. Um, this was especially the case again this Wednesday when a law was passed in the Bundestag um, in order to give the government some more um, some more competencies in in handling the pandemic, um, and a AfD politician um, actually referred to this this law as um, a new Ermächtigungsgesetz. Um, and I, I'm actually not sure how you would translate that, like an empowerment law or something like this. And the Ermächtigungsgesetz was the name of, of, of the law that Hitler, um, or that was passed under Hitler in 1933, giving him wide-reaching um, competences and, and being sort of seen as, as, as the true beginning of, of the Nazi dictatorship. Um, so... Of you know comparing Hitler um, and Merkel in, in in sort of this this Corona um, issue and and fight is of course a strong political rhetoric and it's it's of course absurd, um, but you know judging from from the rising number of people that seem to be dissatisfied and simply just sick of of, of the of all the Corona measures. Um, the fact that the AfD has been siding with, you know, anti-corona conspiracies and and um, and positions, um, I wouldn't say that the AfD will hugely profit from 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 the corona crisis, but I think they might also not lose as much support as we all thought uh, in, in 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 spring when the AfD was suddenly not really relevant anymore. I think they have somehow managed to at least keep themselves relevant to the people who, who in one way or the other, believe in, in, these, um, in these corona conspiracies. So it, it depends a bit how it's going to play out over the next couple of months, how the, how the AFD is, is going to get out of this uh, crisis. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too optimistic. Let's put it like that. Thank you, Sophie. That actually leads perfectly into my next question, which is kind of a bit of a predictions question. And it's about where would you see the AFD in the future? And you've kind of touched upon this already, that it's kind of difficult to kind of fully know, because I think all of us at the moment, if we're just observing global politics, can just see that 
even a week now, we could say it's a very uh, long time in politics. So will the AFD still be an electoral force in German politics? Or something that I often think about, um, of course, you mentioned the article that's currently under review uh, that I'm working on with uh, Felix Fiebrecht, with which we're also looking at the regional divides between uh, the West Mm -hmm. versus East in Germany. And we often discuss amongst ourselves about party infighting or expulsions that we often see within modern far-right parties, disputes over ideology, internal party disputes and leadership issues, which of course the AFD arguably has also had. So I'm wondering, uh, will the AFD still be an electoral force in German politics or would party infighting lead potentially to the downfall of the AFD party in in the long term? So some difficult questions there there for you. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you mentioned that there is some internal conflicts that have been especially visible over the last um, month, basically, between one part of the AFD um, that has a, you know, I mean, more or less obvious connection to the broader extra-parliamentary new right and right-wing extremist scene in Germany. And it also uses rhetoric that is, you know, reminiscent of of of, of, of Nazism, um, in its in its ways of speaking, but also in its in its ideas, and they are the reason why um, the Office for the Protection of the German Constitution has an eye on specific actors within the AfD as a sort of potentially far right extremist. And the other part of the AfD um, is, is 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 actors that um, prefer to frame the party as what you could call bourgeois conservative that aims to make the AFD electable for people who have maybe so far voted for the FDP, the Free Democrats, or the CDU, the Christian Democrats, but maybe do not consider them conservative enough anymore and, and feel like, you know, something on on the politically right side of, of those two parties. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is... I think if they split, if there will be a split and we have the AFD split into two parties, um, I would say then each of them would be too small to have a a considerable political impact anymore. Because as you, um, I think also sort of right um, in that paper, you just mentioned the strength of the AFD has been to bridge exactly this spectrum between sort of conservatism um, a more classic right-wing populism and sort of a more extreme um, uh, far-right extremist um, um, ideology. So they have actually been able to mobilize a broad spectrum of, 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 of supporters. Um, if the party manages to sort of get their uh, conflicts uh, solved or at least covered over uh, enough, then I don't really see them vanishing in the near future. I would say, though, that I don't see them growing um, much either. I think they've pretty much exhausted their so their, their, their electoral potential. Um, I, I would maybe see them at something between 8 and 13% on a national level, not far below that and not, uh, not, not above that. Um, but yeah, as I said, I don't see them vanishing anytime soon because, I mean, what they, of course, have been, um, in a, you know, very busy doing is sort of perpetuating a polarization within German society um, and with sort of 
yeah, I mean, stabilizing their supporters um, through, again, uh, what, I, what I would call offering them a, a very sort of comprehensive, um, effective identity. Um, and I, I just, with, with sort of the, what you can hear AFD supporters uh, saying or see them writing on social media, you know, it's just very hard to imagine that a lot of these people that call, you know, Angela Merkel or basically all other parties traitors of, 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 of the people and, you know, think they should be in, in prison and stuff like this. It just is very hard to see these people voting for the Christian Democrats or the Social Democrats again anytime soon because they are so um, immersed in, in, in sort of a far-right um, uh, culture and, 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 and community that... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really see how we get them um, out of out of there. Um, in in a sense, and we've already seen as well that in some federal states, um, forming a government without the AFD has actually been very difficult and has basically only led to grand coalitions of the two biggest parties. Um, going to collision with each other because otherwise there would simply be no majority with, without the AFD. And we have seen last uh, spring in the state of Turingia that uh, min like a minister president, the prime minister of a federal state in Germany, um, a first violation of the cordon sanitaire, so the, the idea that no other party no would cooperate with with the AFD so yeah i mean after this part of me is 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 definitely worried that we will at least on local or regional level um again see see this breaking of the consensus that a cooperation with the AFD is out of questions and we might actually see um Maybe not the AFD being in government, but supporting certain government, uh, local or regional government decisions, um, and therefore sort of entering in cooperation with sort of center right um, mainstream parties. Thank you, Sophie, again for the really detailed answer, and you know, you touch upon a number of themes like the conservatism theme that you spoke about, and again for listeners, this is kind of crucial because as Sophie was mentioning earlier, when the AFD was first founded in 2013, it really could be seen as a single issue, conservative, hard Eurosceptic party. And so of course, it's ideologically transformed as well. And this of course mm -hmm. is what a number of our colleagues at, at the CAR, particularly the CAR Center for Analysis of the Radical Right Ideology Research Unit, are also looking at about this close overlap between kind of mainstream center-right conservative parties and how they actually transformed in a number of countries lately to even becoming fully-fledged uh, populist radical right parties again to list the Fidesz party of Hungary under uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban as, as one such example as well. So if, yeah. of course we can we can see Sophie again uh, your your answers are really interesting when you mention about the significance of the AFD in terms of forming local or, or kind of any state gov governments and how they have this really strong kind of not just coalition potential but the ability of of course, without them, it's not been possible to form some governments lately. So really fascinating interview overall, Sophie. So my final question, it's not really a question, I would say, but more about for our podcast listeners tuning in right now, 
where could they find some of your, you know, your latest research? I mean, do you have a Twitter account? And actually, another um, thing I wanted to, to say, sorry, was about this, this uh, website that you run, the Banana Populism website that I think <laughs> listeners might find really exciting as well. Um, yes, yeah. If, uh, Banana Populism is a yeah a blog, a half blog, half procrastination project. I would say um, that uh, I've started uh, with um, three friends, uh, among them Mike uh, Cole, who's also had a podcast episode. I'm not sure if it's out yet, um, and who's part of the Populism Research Unit. Um, yeah, where we sort of uh, look at different populists around the world in a more, you know, uh, informal, uh, entertaining um, way. I have a Twitter account. Um, should show up when you when you uh, sort of put my name uh, into into Twitter. Um, writing blog posts for for the center for the analysis of the radical right uh, every three months or so. So uh, should find me there as well, and uh, of course also on my um yeah my 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 latest research is always on the on the university homepage that also comes up if you just um google my name um then you i think the first thing coming up is my profile at uh, Aarhus University and um well it, hopefully at some point uh, there will be a, a monograph or my thesis uh, will become a monograph within you know the, the not so far future <laughs> That's, that's really interesting to hear about your, your monograph, Sophie. So just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was fun. Thank you. And, and also best of luck with, with your monograph that, that's coming up as well. I hope that can, that can be finished soon and, and also published. And I think a, a number of us within the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right, of course, would, would read that with, with great interest overall. I hope so, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sophie, for coming on the show. It has been a real pleasure. This has been an episode of the Car Populism Research Unit for the Car Right Rising podcast. Please feel free to check out our other episodes hosted by my colleague, Augusta Delomo. Have a good day, everyone. Take care, especially during these difficult times with the COVID-19 pandemic. All the best and see you soon for more episodes from our Car Populism Research Unit. Thank you very much. <laughs>